Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'm not real sure. We'll just see how far we can get this evening uh, with this. Uh, tonight and we'll if not all the way we'll just pick back up next week and continue on amen with this same vein of thought but the swinning those so second corinthians chapter 5 verse number 16 let's even go verse number 17 if you will sister mcgee if we can just go on advance to verse number 17 the bible says therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him Again, the phrase that we are considering tonight is part of our mission statement, but the scripture, I believe, ties in with that. Thus winning those souls. Hallelujah. Let's ask God's help. I need the Lord's help. Father, I come to you this evening. God, we're appreciative, Lord, of another time, another opportunity, Lord, to be in this place. I pray, God, to come and offer a praise and worship to the King of glory. I pray, oh God, that you would help us now as we turn our attention to your living word God that it would somehow impress something upon our souls upon our spirits God equip us with knowledge and understanding I pray tonight of your holy word we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ I pray amen the church say amen amen you may be seated amen I think we're good tonight I don't have no allergy flare-ups happening uh, as it's been uh, last services it seems like I think we're good to go unless I just spoke it into existence nevertheless thus winning those souls is our focus here this evening and there is really a primary focus uh, tonight that we'll be concentrating on and that is particularly the word winning I believe uh, perhaps last week we did well enough of touching on the subject matter of souls or every souls that we can leave that portion of this phrase alone tonight and just primarily focus on this idea of winning and whenever we consider the idea when it's considering the church or us thus winning those souls it may appear as though that is a pretty tall order if we believe that we're solely responsible for the salvation of souls for one no man has ever been solely responsible for another's salvation apart from Christ Jesus. He's the only individual, the only man that we could say that has ever been absolutely responsible for the salvation of another man. However, just because I'm not solely responsible does not mean I am not totally exempt either from having a hand or sometimes being a tool to help in the process of seeing a soul one to the Lord. I've heard people at times rally around the idea or the concept, the cry that even comes from Scripture, they'll use it. You know, anytime you can use the Bible, even if it's out of context to your advantage, people's like, yay, raw. And people will say they rally around the cry, it is God who gives the increase. Well... That's great whenever you want to use that out of context for a ploy of evading your duty of winning souls because many times that's the way in which I hear it. It's God that gives the increase. doesn't matter what you do, if you do it or if you don't do it. God, hallelujah, God gives the increase. 
many times that comes from the lips of someone that's trying to shirk a responsibility of being a sow winner. In the church of Corinth, the Bible, Corinth was full of corruption, folks. The, the church of Corinth, for that matter. There was all kinds of things going on. The apostle Paul wrote the first and second uh, letters, if you will, of Corinthians because of all of the headache and havoc that was going on in those churches. And there was some divisions that were going on in the church at Corinth because there were some that were saying, you know, I'm baptized of Paul. Others were saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos. Some were saying, well, I was convicted by a message that, that Apollos preached. Or another one said, I'm convicted by the message that Paul preached. And I was pricked in my heart by what they said. And as a result of that, there was a dividing of the people. It was like, you know, it's better to be baptized by Paul than it was by Apollos. Or it was better to have been convicted by the message of Apollos than it was Paul. And so they just had these groups that began to form. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 4, it, it, it tells us the wording of these scriptures here. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? He says in verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And the Bible says, I have planted, Apollos watered. There's that phrase I alluded to, but God gave the increase. Verse number 7, So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And so the good apostle is trying to set all things in perspective here with the division of the church that's happening in Corinthians, the church at Corinth at this time. He's trying to bring some clarity to their thinking and tell them it didn't matter if Apollos had baptized them and that they were convicted perhaps by the message of the apostle Paul because he told them that neither of those things would have benefited you there would have been no increase if God wasn't involved in it. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't matter if Apollos or Paul baptized you. If God wasn't involved in that, it would not have benefited you. He said, it doesn't matter what messenger, who was the messenger or what it was that pricked your heart at that time. If God didn't have a hand in it, then it would have not increased anything. It would have not benefited you and so he says it's not the planter if I could say it like that it's not the planter or the waterer and the, probably not a real word the waterer that is anything he says it's not Paul and it's not Apollos that's anything but it's God it's God Paul and Apollos are just ministers by whom you believe they were just pieces of conduit if you will that were used of God they were ministers by whom ye believe now though he says however and I think this is important for us lest we overcorrect and say well Paul and Apollos no big deal don't need them don't need the message don't need what they have to say lest we overcorrect and abandon then the idea of the importance of Paul and Apollos, we need to understand that Christ and the apostle here did say that they were, these two did have some work that they were doing and labor that they were doing, that they were laborers together. And I think it's important to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 9. He said, for we are laborers together with God. And so, yes, it takes God to give the increase, but God has, in essence, employed us. God has employed us to be laborers together with him so that that can all come about. If we use the natural illustration that the Apostle Paul is, is using here uh, of the aspect of planting a seed in the ground, if we use just that natural aspect that he was using, that illustration, a seed that's being planted in the ground and a seed that's being cared for, watered, amen, that tells me that I can plant a seed and I can water it properly and there's times it can still yield nothing. Nature tells us that. There have been people that's planted, Mike, you probably have somewhere along your life, put seeds in the ground and watered them and nothing happened. Nothing absolutely take place. But I do guarantee you this, with great certainty tonight, you can expect nothing when you've planted nothing and you've cared for nothing. 
Now there's a chance if you do the work, nothing will happen, but it's a sure thing that if you haven't done any work, nothing's going to take place. And so I believe what the writer is telling us, yeah, God gives the increase. You can plant, you can water, and sometimes nothing will come up. But nothing for sure is going to come up if there's not somebody planting and something being watered. God, whenever God gives the increase, that, that kind of imposes the idea that God is adding to or building on something that is already there. And so in order for there to be increase, there must be something to begin with. And for God to give an increase, it took an Apollos and it took a Paul to put something there that God could increase on. So yes, it's important that God's involved or there's not going to be no increase. But it's important that you and I, members of the body of Christ, are involved in this thing of winning souls as well because we got to invest something in the soil and we got to water what we invested in the soil and if it comes about, glory to God. But if it don't, I'm still going to plant something in the soil and water something in the soil because if I don't, there for sure won't be any product of it. Someone say amen. For sure, not be a product of it. So we are laborers together with God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and this is in the context, it's speaking of, it's speaking of giving. There, there was uh, Jerusalem at a time that was in need of some finances and financial help, and Macedonia and Rome and some of the others, the Corinthian church, were, were giving to the cause of Jerusalem. And it was along the line of giving money in particular, but it could be viewed just as well through the aspect of giving fill in the blank beyond money uh, giving of your time giving of your abilities giving in any respect and uh, giving as far as planting seed and here is the illustration again that's along the lines of a husbandman or someone that is a farmer he tells them if you sow sparingly the law of the harvest is you're going to reap but more so you're going to reap in proportion to what you sowed if you sow sparingly you're going to reap sparingly if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. It's hard to have a bumper crop when you didn't have a bumper planting. Amen. That's difficult to do. And so it's quite possible then, it's quite possible to have sown and reap nothing. I want us to understand that. That is possible because God gives the increase. Amen. But it may very well also be possible that everything that you sowed might just come up as well. Just as much as it's a possibility that nothing will come up, on the flip side, it's just as possible as it all may come up. And so with that in the forefront of my mind, Brother Fred, I sow. I don't sow because of the moments that it don't come up, but I sow with the idea, you know what? Everything I put in the ground, it just may come up. And if it does, it's because God has given the increase. But God has increased with what I've supplied to work with here. Could someone say amen? So God, God giving the increase. Again, the notes him building up on something that we have supplied or that we have already done some work towards. In, in, our, in our phrase tonight that's in our statement, it says, thus winning those souls. I, I, I don't know if Bishop intentionally did this or if it just by happenstance, okay. But the word, amen, but the word thus is defined as in the way just indicated. In other words, our loving as God loves and our expressions of compassion help bridge the gap, if you will, between God and man. If I could put that definition for thus in our statement, in our, our, our FAC statement, mission statement tonight, it would go like this, to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul in the way just indicated, winning those souls. In other words, by virtue of the love that we have, that's the love of God. And by virtue of showing compassion, that those are venues by which we do the winning, if you will, of the souls. Now here comes the red flag. True, and I agree with the statement, true, only God can really, really in the most perfect sense of the word, win a soul or save 
a show. But again, he's employed. I don't know if you realize that that you have more than one job. He has employed you as his recruiters. Amen. He's employed you as his recruiters. In our text tonight of 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible tells us that Paul told the Corinthian church that God was in Christ. All right? You've heard me talk about this verse a thousand times, 1001. God, who is spirit, according to John 4, 24. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. The Bible speaks of him as the invisible God. Paul said that this, this God was in Christ, was in Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, the man that had flesh and blood and a body. The first Timothy 3.16 speaks to us about uh, the controversy and the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. So this God which is spirit was in Christ, this body, this human flesh. Paul told them that. And this is what he said concerning that. He said that God, which was spirit, was reconciling the world to himself in verse number 19. The God that was in Christ Jesus was reconciling the world unto himself. Then in verse number 18, Paul got a little, he got a little personal with us. And he told us, he said, listen, Corinthian church, he said, God reconciled us. God reconciled me by Jesus Christ. Namely, that we'll see through the other writings of the gospel, namely through Jesus Christ by how? Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, we're throwing around this word, word reconcile, and most people, they're just thinking about the bank accounts when we talk about the word reconcile. But the word reconcile in the Bible, in the, in the Greek, means to change or exchange, to return in favor with. It is where only one ceases to be angry with another and receives him into favor. Amen. To change or to exchange is the basic meaning of the word reconcile. And so here's how reconciliation worked between God and between man. Amen. He used Christ Jesus as the medium. Amen. To carry out this reconciliation between God and between man. Look at verse 19. The Bible says that God did not impute our, everybody say our, our trespasses to us. Again, impute might be a little fancy word to some of us. But in other words, God did not count our trespasses to us or God did not take into account or make an account of our trespasses unto us. So the reconciliation or the change or the exchange that Scripture was talking about was this. And it states it right there in our Scripture reading that Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sins. And we who were sinners were accounted as though we had not sinned. That was the reconciliation. God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. And whenever he did that, it, the, 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 using Jesus Christ as a medium, he was pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because through the death of Christ, he became sin for us and it was nailed to a tree. And that took all of our sins. But the Bible says what we got in exchange for that, if you look at the last verse, verse 21, was the righteousness of God. So we exchanged our sin for the righteousness of God and he used the life of Christ Jesus in order to accomplish that. Someone say amen. But notice, he used Christ in that day, that hour, that culture, that time period. All right? Notice the scripture though, Paul speaks in verses 18 and 19. Notice these two phrases respectively. God, he says, he tells them, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He said in verse 19, God hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. All right? So, so Paul does a switch up on them here. 
Christ has already died. He's already been buried. He's already, he's already resurrected. For that matter, he's already spent the 40 days and had many infallible proofs that he showed the disciples, and he's already ascended into heaven. Amen? Acts 2, him sending the Spirit down on the day of Pentecost with the 120 in the upper room, the 3,000 that was added to the church state, that's already happened. And so now Paul says, during Jesus Christ's time in his earthly ministry upon the earth, he was the medium by which God used in order to reconcile man. He took their sin, he gave them the righteousness. He said, but now, God, uh-huh. He said, Christ is no longer here, he's away. But he sent his spirit. And it says, we've received his spirit. He says, but now, you and me, God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the word of reconciliation. We are responsible. There is a certain amount of this burden now that befalls our shoulders and our plight and our plea in life that we, we, we thus win the souls. How in the world? Folks, this is what happens. There will not be another death. There will not be another Calvary. There will not be another dying of a perfect man that was without sin. That took place once and that's all that it takes. Amen? But the spirit that was in the man Christ Jesus is the same spirit that came in the people on the day of Pentecost. And that spirit is still desiring to reconcile people back to God. And the only virtue, the only container it has now to do that and operate for that is through those who have the spirit. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the word of reconciliation. Look what the scripture says. He gets very explicit in what he means in verse number 20. He, he, he kind of elaborates upon this concept and idea that he has given to them. He says, look at verse 20. For then we are ambassadors, representatives. When we go to and fro, we represent something far more than ourselves. When we're acting as an ambassador, if I'm acting as an ambassador, as, as someone from America to a foreign country, I am the character, the full essence of all that they know concerning America. I am the ambassador. I am the re representative. I am the example. He says we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ's no longer here. Christ is gone. He was the medium through which God worked, but now we are ambassadors for Christ. Now we are the medium through which Christ works. And look what the Bible says, as though God, everybody say God, as though God did beseech you by us. What? Yeah, he says we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Christ because Christ has already ascended, but now God, that same spirit, God's a spirit. If you received him, you got that spirit. God is beseeching who? Humanity. Who? Those that are still dead in their sins. God is beseeching you, or beseech basically means calling for or summoning. God is calling for and summoning you by who? By us. They have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God's way of still reaching out to those in need of him. God's way of still reaching out to those in the dregs of sin. God, God, God's use for those that are still, amen, in the debauchery, amen, of a world of sin. He still wants to reconcile them. He still wants to pass his righteousness on them, amen, and take their sin from them. And he says, but you know, Christ has already ascended, but I still have my church there. I still have my blood pot people there. I'm giving this ministry to them, and there's gonna come a calling forth of me from their life. And to people that's in need of me, there's going to come a summoning of me unto those that are in need of me. That's what the apostle was saying. And here's what he said. He said, as though God did beseech you by us, he says, we pray you in Christ's stead. In Christ's stead. We pray for you in Christ's stead. In other words, being the medium through which God now works, be reconciled. Look, not to us. Be reconciled to God. Winning those souls. Thus winning those souls. There is still a grand responsibility upon us that have been born again of the water and of the Spirit. Because again, when you have done that, you have God's Spirit 
in you. No one else again needs to die for that exchange. None of us, for that matter, are fit to die for that exchange. The Bible says that he entered in once and offered up the sacrifice. And only one time did it need offered. Whereas all throughout the Old Testament, it was another bull, another lamb, another this, constantly having to be offered. But he, the perfect lamb of God, went in once and offered up the sacrifice himself once. There is no other need for another sacrifice. But as representatives, everybody say me. But as representatives, we provide a means for God to call and summon, beseech lost souls through Beseech lost souls. Call for lost souls through you. We've been given the ministry and we've been given the word of reconciliation, but God ultimately is the reconciler. Someone say amen. We are. I've touched on this idea before. If you ever want to hear it, it's a tremendous, tremendous message by Brother Mike Williams. You can see it, Popka, Florida. Don't remember the name of his church right off hand. Thinks POA, actually. Pentecostals of a Popka. Preach a sermon tremendous two part that is the spirit and the bride say come from the book of Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 at the close your revelation talking about if any man is a thirst let him come and the phrase is the spirit and the bride say come no man can truly come except the spirit draws them but the spirit isn't just the concept and the idea of God drawing but the spirit that resides in his bride because we're all baptized into one spirit, the Bible says. That's the spirit of God. And so the church, the bride, should do a beckoning, a beseeching, a calling of come as well. The spirit and the bride say come. Now, Brother McGill, I'm just, you know, I'm just one of these people here, just not a cup of tea. And... Well, let me tell you something. You've already been qualified if you've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Acts 1 and 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I just want to, just moving phrases around up there. If we could just start with the phrase, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and then go to the front. Is that all right? Does that bother anybody? Amen, just... The structure of the sentence after the Holy Ghost has come upon you number one ye shall receive power number two ye shall be witnesses unto everybody say me it's important that phrase right there is very important because I think we've read over it through it around it and missed it oft times because the Bible says what I believe a lot of people say whenever they quote that is that he said ye shall be witnesses unto them how many times have you ever read that like that? Even just read through it. You shall be witnesses unto them. That's not what the scripture says, though. The scripture says that ye shall be witnesses unto me. And Jesus is the one speaking. He says, you're going to be witnesses unto me. Now, watch this. The word witness, the, the etymology of the word witness there in the Greek is this. Meaning, one who is mindful or one who heeds. In other words, after you receive the Holy Ghost, you're going to receive power, and ye shall be mindful unto me. Or you'll be heeding me. This, this, we might not get there tonight, but we'll get there, if not tonight, next week, and we'll start tying some of these things together. Number one, though, look, we'll be, we'll be mindful of him in Jerusalem. We'll be mindful of him in Judea, Samaria, the utmost part of the earth. Brother George Akers at our last, at our last uh, general conference, he preached along this verse and he felt like God impressed upon him uh, concerning the locality of these places that Jerusalem being the local place, Judea was the national, the national spectrum. Samaria, uh, that being of a mixed, a mixed race of, of Jew and Gentile, that's how the Samaritan came to be, a multicultural place and the uttermost part being an international place. And some people interpret, well, then we should be witnesses to all these places. But if we consider the word witness, we should be witnesses to God. Or we should be mindful of Him 
in these different places, locally, nationally, wherever. If I could say it like this, that whether we're at home or if we're at places totally foreign to us, he says, I gave you the Holy Ghost so that you would be mindful of me wherever you're at, wherever you go. That's important when it comes to winning those souls because there's times in the marketplace that I'm not sitting on the pew and they're not hitting on the keys and they're not singing but if I'm a witness unto him if I'm mindful of him there could be somebody there that needs a cry from my spirit to do a little drawing and beckoning of the soul there could be some times brother Tony when I'm standing on the assembly line and I'm just doing my thing that there's old Cujo sitting beside me that I work by every day but because I'm mindful of the spirit because I'm heeding the spirit, God just pricks my heart and says, hey, you need to say just a few words to so-and-so over here. And by doing so, I'm stepping into the realm of ambassador. And God's trying to use me to reconcile. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're witnesses unto him. Unto but you, you, you got to poise yourself to be mindful of him, to heed him. It's all a part of being entrusted with the word and the ministry of reconciliation, to be mindful always, in all places, at all times. Uh-huh. It isn't always even just in the aspect of souls being lost. How many times the Lord just quickens you? Man, you need to pray and you need to pray now and you don't know why you need to. But you do it anyway. And only hindsight later comes about that that's the reason why you needed to pray. I was just talking to one of the relatives of Sister Nadine Dion today. Her son-in-law, back in 2004, he had a heart attack and they took him by life flight. He didn't have no pain or nothing. Uh, he just weakened his body. His daughter said, you're going to the hospital. So they went and he was having a heart attack. Uh, all all of his, his enzymes and vitals, everything was showing that. His EKG said, we're going to lifelike. And as they were lifelighting him, he said, I just, he said, they lost me twice. I straight lined. They said, there's another one coming on before it ever happened. And he said, I straight lined twice. And he said, and everything turned out well. Of course, he's still alive today. He said, but my son, he said, it was home, totally oblivious to anything that was going on. And he said, Dad, and he told me the time that all this was occurring, and it matched the time that I was being lifelighted. He said, Dad, I just felt something all of a sudden tell me you need to pray. And he said, I started trotting up the stairs, and I fell on my face and began to cry out to the Lord, what's going on? Somebody, regardless of where they were, were mindful and heeding. Now, you're saying, well, then if he didn't pray, he wouldn't have. No, I'm just saying, God just works things out like that. You never know when you might be by somebody hungry and you got the food that they need to sustain their everlasting soul. You got to be a witness unto him. Jesus. And so the, 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 the wisdom for us is this. Don't just check out when you walk through the double doors and check in when you walk back in. Don't just check out and become insensitive at home in the other areas of your life and turn up the amp of sensitivity when you walk in here. Because by and large, our role of the ministry of reconciliation ambassadors is more in need outside of the four walls than it is inside the four walls. Whoo. I feel the master walking along in here. Paul said in Acts 14, 17, you don't have that, sis, I'm just, I'm just referring to, Paul said in Acts 14, 17 that God left not himself without witness. God said, I'm going to have me, I'm going to have me a grouping. I'll have me a people that is mindful of me. I'm going to have a people that, that heeds me. God made sure that he would have a people for that, heeding for his direction, mindful of his direction and his use in no matter what locality of life that they may be. And if we are, folks, listen to me tonight, as a church, if we are mindful of God and heed the Lord, we will take his burden for souls and adopt it for our own if we're mindful. 
of him. Jesus said to those disciples, as he was calling them, it would seem one by one, he'd say, follow me. And I will, everybody say, make, make you fishers of men. By and large, a good majority of the, of the disciples that he had, a good number of them were fishermen by, by trade and by career. And he says, well, you've been fishing for fish. He said, but if you follow me, I'll make you. Everybody say, make. I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, old timer once said, and I think it was Sister Bishop, Sister Ashley years ago at, at, at a conference one time said, he said, if you are not fishing, then you must not be following. Because Christ said, if you follow me, I'll make you. Fishers of men. Everybody doing all right? All right. Let's dig in just a little more. In John 12, and you can turn there because I'm going to be reading some verses of Scripture, but let me just kind of set, set the stage for you here. In John 12, there are some Greeks that have come to worship at the feast, the Bible is telling us, and they approach one of the disciples by the name of Philip. And they say to Philip, Philip, sir, we would see Jesus. That was their plea to Philip. And so Philip goes and he finds, the Bible says, he tells Andrew. And then both Philip and Andrew go and find and tell Jesus there are some Greeks over here. There's someone longing, someone with a desire here to see Jesus. They approach Philip. Philip approaches Andrew. Andrew and Philip approach Jesus. And where they tell Jesus, Jesus, there's some people that would see you. They're longing for you. They're hungering for you. The response of the Lord to them is found in verse number 23. Amen. This is what he said to those two, verses 23 and 24. And Jesus answered them, that's Philip and Andrew saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. She's setting the stage here. There's some people here desiring you longing to see you. And Jesus, it seems almost like an odd response at first. He says, the son of man, he said, he said, I need glorified. And then he goes on and gives an illustration, Sister Margaret, about a, a, a corn of wheat. If it fall on the ground and if it doesn't die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus, in the nutshell, and no pun intended, but Jesus, in the nutshell, was telling by me why what means he was going to be glorified. The, 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 the seed must go in the ground and it must be dead, death and burial. And it will bring forth much fruit, resurrection, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. A means, uh, this is hard for our human minds to comprehend, but the glorification of Jesus Christ was in his humiliation. Mm-hmm. And so he was telling them by, 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 by what means. And he goes on and elaborates on this just a little bit later down in verse number 32. Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Verse 33. This he said, signifying what death he should die. If I be lifted up, strewn on a cross, as it were, Golgotha, the place of the skull, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And so the way he is glorified now and the way that he is lifted up now in that moment of time was through his death, burial, and resurrection. That was the glorification, if you will, of the Son of Man, all right? That's an act that was said, it was done, it's happened. Its benefits are still rolling from Calvary today, but that's when it occurred and happened. Well, for you and I, in our day and age, he said, if that happens in that time frame, I'll draw men. But that's happened, that's said and done. It's not gonna happen again. We're still benefiting, but it's not gonna happen again. So the way that we glorify him now and the way that we lift him up now is through the preaching, the teaching, 
the proclamation, if you will, of the work of the cross, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the aftermath of what takes place there. That's the way that we glorify him now. That's the way now Jesus said, he said, if the Greeks are coming and they're longing for me and they want to see me, he says, I need glorified. There needs to be the death, burial, and resurrection. I need glorified. I need lifted up in that measure in that way. That's the answer to their longing. Folks, the answer to the longing of those that are hungry now, he says, it's still the death, burial, and resurrection, but it's your preaching, your proclaiming, your teaching of the death, burial, and resurrection. If you glorify that, he says, people's going to come to know me. Yeah. Look at the Bible, Romans 5 and 10. And folks, there's a lot, there's little strings coming up along the way and you're gonna see me tie knots as we go along, all right? Amen. In Romans 5 and verse 10, look what the Bible says. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, if reconciliation happened by his death, and with the death is assumed a burial, you, you bury dead things. If reconciliation happened by his death and he drew all men to him by his death, folks, how much more shall we be reconciled to him and men drawn to him by the life or the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? or what for us is the parallel of receiving the same spirit that resurrected him from the dead. Now here's the, fo here's the focus. How do we, then Pastor McGee, how do we win souls? How do we win souls? Let me tell you, as a pastor, as a teacher, uh, as a leader in ministry, don't just teach about his death, but teach about his resurrection as well. Teach about new life. Teach about, as we started out with tonight, old things passing away. Behold, all things becoming new. Now, Jesus Christ, he, he's doing the drawing. If I be lifted up, if I'm glorified, all this is gonna happen. As a matter of fact, on several occasions through Scripture, and I'll just hold you a little longer, amen, several places through Scripture, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He oft, we see these phrases. He oft times says, I am the light of the world. At another place of scripture, he says, the light is with you. Jesus says that. He says, I am come a light into the world. He says, the light that shineth in darkness. Speaking of himself, I'm the light that shineth in darkness. All right? Jesus speaking that. I'm the light of the world. That's me. Boom. Numero uno right here. I'm the man. John chapter number one and verse number six. St. John, that is. St. John one and verse number six. The Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Amen. The Bible said the same came for a witness. Whoop, there's that word again. The same came for a witness, very same word. He came to be one that was mindful of the Lord. He came to be one that was heeding to the Lord. The same came as a witness to bear witness, the Bible says, of the light. That all men through him, look at this, that all men through him, who, John, might believe he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Someone say amen. John, John, speaking of the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, John, the forerunner of Christ, was to be a witness, to be mindful, to heed, if you will, the light, the light that Jesus proclaimed on and on through Scripture that he was, I am the light in me, there is no darkness at all. Amen. The Bible says that John the Baptist was not the light. Amen. As uh, a matter of fact, John came into the world and about six months later, Jesus Christ came into the world. The light came into the world. Amen. But John did say, though, I am a witness through which men might believe. We know that Jesus is the light. Just hang with me here for a moment. As a matter of fact, John 9 and 5 tell us, Jesus said, as long, catch this, this is very important. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you hear Jesus, what he just said? As long as I'm here, you're looking at the light. As long as I'm here, I am the light of the world. Now watch this. Before Jesus ever left, before he's ever gone, he's saying something in his Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, 14, 
when he's speaking, do we have that up there, Matthew 5, 14, he's speaking to the disciples and he says, now this is the man who's the light of the world, who as long as he's here, I'm the light of the world. He says to his disciples, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Jesus, what are you doing? You're still here walking among us. You said you are the light of the world. As long as you're here, you're the man. You're the light of the world. But Jesus, Brother Terry, is already conditioning the mind of his disciples. Jesus is already doing some grooming. He's tutoring them, so to speak, and mentoring them and starting to tell them, boys, ye are the light of the world. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm trying to draw you in close, as we started out with, because we're going to be laborers together in this thing. We're going to be laborers together in this thing. So ye are the light of the world in so much, in so much, that at this time, this is how it works with real leadership, Jesus' leadership, Jesus starts to place some of his own honor upon them. So I'm the light of the world, but he's calling them. Now ye are the, he's starting to take some of his own honor and place it upon them because he's grooming them for the day and the hour that he's no longer in the world. Because when he's no longer there, no longer the light. He said, but there's going to have to be somebody that steps into the role. There's going to have to be somebody that fills in the gap. And look then at verse number 16 of this. He says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick it giveth light to all that are in the house. Verse 16, thank you. Let, he's talking to these disciples. He just said, you're the light of the world. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. Everybody say glorify. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look what he said. Disciples, I'm grooming you, placing some honor for you. When I'm gone, someone's going to have to step in this stead. He says, disciples, let your light shine. Why? So that men may, everybody say, say may. So men may see your good works. Number two, and so that men will glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'm not getting hung up over Jesus and the Father. He said in John 10, 30, Jesus said, I am my Father in one. I have no problem with this idea and concept whatsoever. If you will remember, walk backwards with me and I'll come to a close. Walk backwards with me just a little bit. Back to John 12. Philip and Andrew went to Jesus, said there's some Greeks, they want to see Jesus. Remember what Jesus' response was? He said, i got to get glorified. Do you, do you remember that? He says, the Son of Man... His response to them is the Son of Man has to be glorified. <laughs> and although that very much so includes the work of the cross, includes the work of the death, burial, and resurrection, includes the lifting up on the cross that he alluded to in John 12, although that includes that work, it also transcends that work. Someone hear me? It includes that, but it also transcends that, and it incorporates you and my row as ambassadors because here it is listen to me people are longing to see Jesus and Jesus response is then I must be glorified mm -hmm. someone say amen <laughs> and men will glorify God which is one and the same Jesus I am my father in one men will glorify God as they see the lights of the people, us, the church, that are in the world today. I don't know if you got that. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. In other words, if you become the light of the world, I'll get glorified. And when I get glorified, that's the answer to those that are hungry and wanting to see me. I know that's a long way around, but that's the only way I could go to pull it all together just for right now. He's saying the answer to the longing of the soul is the glorification of God. I was glorified once, but the way that I can keep on being glorified is you assume my position of being the light in the world. And as you are the light, people's going to turn around and say, my goodness, my, 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 look at that. And they're going to glorify the Savior all over. And that is the answer for lost humanity. Someone say amen. comes by the cross it comes by being mindful and heeding to him it comes by us being the lights can I say it like this it comes by our involvement 
we won't go on, I guess, yet. It's already hastening to a close, I suppose. If you'll stand with me here this evening. We'll continue next week in this vein. But what we'll start to look at next week, so, Lord, if you're putting that honor on me as, as being the light, because now you're departed, someone needs to fill in that role and that place, and you've already told me to be the light of the world before you ever left, but I can't be that until you're no longer here. If I take that row and by what I do, it helps people glorify you, and that's the answer then for lost humanity, me being that ambassador, me being that mediator, me being that, that, that medium through which God can reconcile people to himself, then we start to deal with something next week that probably one of the top reasons for not winning souls is the fear of rejection. That's my own opinion, but probably one of the, the major reasons for not winning souls is the fear of rejection. And I'll close with this. Notice again, he said, if you let your light shine before men so that they, everybody say may, see your good works. Here's, here's the crux of the springboard for next week. Just even as we started tonight. Every time you sow and every time you plant and every time you water doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a harvest. There's always the possibility of rejection. He even said when you let your light shine, he says so that men may, it doesn't say that they would, but may some may and some may not. There's always that concept or that idea of rejection. So I want to bolster our faith battling against this concept of, well, you know, I can't say something, can't be anything, can't, can't be the one that, the voices beckoning and calling from again because I might get rejected. Well, I'm going to show us next week through Scripture you don't stand alone, but that should be no reason for not trying. Amen? Is everybody okay? Is your head just kind of spinning? And Amen. As usual, these things go on podcasts. You know he's listening to them again. Amen? If you look up the First Apostolic Church on iTunes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.